This is a Federal News Network podcast. This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. By nearly all measures, 2022 was a terrible year for the average investor. Inflation and a host of badly received public policies sent both stock and bond markets into bear territory. All of the thrift savings plan funds, with the exception of the basically flat G fund, declined. For a review and some things to think about for the year ahead, I spoke with certified financial advisor Art Stein. It's actually, Tom, good news for people who are still working and still investing because as they you know, make a contribution from their bi-weekly paycheck, they're buying shares at lower and lower prices. And that's an advantage to them because you know, it will be years, presumably, before they need to spend that money. And they'll probably have an even higher rate of return for the shares they bought when everything was down. People who are in the worst situation would be like a FERS retiree who needs to withdraw funds from the TSP to supplement his pension or her pension and Social Security because then they are forced to sell funds when they're down. Now, of course, the G fund wasn't down for the year, but everything else was. What was really unique about last year, 2022, was that the F fund had the worst decline in its history, and it was the only time that it has had a negative rate of return for two straight years. So it's really been bad for bonds. But of course, one thing that I would say is it makes bonds a pretty good investment right now because the yield, the rate of return that they're getting from interest payments is now higher than it was. But it's still small consolidation to many people because they worry about the losses that they see in their quarterly and annual reports, and they were major. Now, the other thing I would say, although the bond fund returns were the worst ever, that's definitely not true of the stock funds. I mean, last year, the C fund was down 18%. I'm not saying that's great, but the average decline for the C fund in the years that it declined is greater than that. So it was not like 2008 where the decline was, you know, pretty much record setting. A tough year, but again, if you're employed, take advantage of it and continue to invest in those funds and just hold on till they've gone back up in value. Right. Presuming they will, that we'll have some kind of a normal economy. I mean, it's already showing signs of life. There have been some sparks of upticks in several of the markets. But that idea of buying dollar cost averaging basis, that's still pretty much a cardinal rule, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, past performance, no guarantee of future performance. I don't know anyone who's saying that having gone down, the market's going to stay down forever. We've seen these in the past. And in the past, the markets are always recovered. And I would expect that that would happen at some point in the future. Now, we don't know when. It's not necessarily going to happen this year. I mean, the stock funds and the F fund are up quite a bit in the first two weeks of the year, but that's really not very meaningful. I mean, stock funds were up a lot in the first couple of months of 2020, and then they went down 35%. It's a long-term investment. It's a long-term time horizon. 
And that's what it's there for. And if, you know, you're basically saving this money for retirement and your retirement could last easily 30 years. And it means that some of the money that you have in the TSP, you're going to need 10, 20, 30 years after you retire. That's a long-term investment. We're speaking with certified financial advisor, Art Stein. And I don't recall that both the stock and the bond markets were down this significantly in the same year, because traditionally, most small investor strategies have been to balance with bonds when the stock market is going down and vice versa. Usually, they're counter-cyclical. That's not the case this time. So therefore, I guess my question is, do you go back to that balance that you had of stocks and bonds funds that you might have had before this? Well, first of all, Tom, you are correct. This is the first time the stock and bond markets have both been down more than 10% a calendar year since the 1960s. And of course, that was before there were TSP funds. So we've never seen that in the TSP fund. It's unusual, but it can happen. It can happen again. But it's not a reason not to invest. And it's very clear why the bond funds are down so much. It's because the Federal Reserve wanted interest rates to go up. And they've orchestrated a campaign of interest rate increases to see that that happens. And higher interest rates mean that the value of existing bonds go down, which is what happened to the F fund, that the bonds owned by the F fund have gone down in value. Bonds can go back up again in value if interest rates start to go down. And even if interest rates stabilize, I mean, you eventually see increases in the value of the F fund. So, again, that gets to the question of timing. If you had a 60-40 or a 70-30 with securities versus bonds before all of this, should people think about going back to that now or what? Because I know none of us recommend trying to time markets here. If you thought that an investor in the TSP or just an investor in general thought that 60% in stock funds and 40% in bond funds was an appropriate allocation, I wouldn't change it because stocks have gone down in value or bonds or both. You just need to stick with it. And during years where, say, stocks go down and bonds don't, that's really an opportunity for people to transfer money from their bond funds into their stock funds to maintain their 60-40 portfolio. Right. And for people retired that are on the required minimum distribution, and Congress moved that age out yet, but for people for whom that's too late, are there any mitigating strategies that they can do from not just a stock bond standpoint, from a financial family management standpoint, to somehow offset what might be happening because of required minimum withdrawals when your instinct, if you had a lot of other cash, would be to leave everything in there till there is recovery? Yeah, so with required minimum distributions, once you take the money out, of course, they're going to withhold taxes and you want that to happen. And the money that's left over, you could reinvest and you could put it back in the stock and the bond markets, not in the TSP, obviously, but in a mutual funds that you can get in the private sector. But it is a good time if you have an emergency fund and you need additional amounts from the TSP, then you should think about maybe using some of the emergency fund instead of selling when stocks and bond funds are down in value. 
Right. So that goes back to the general idea that we harp on is to have that rainy day fun because, in fact, it has been raining. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my firm, we really emphasize to our clients that they should have an emergency fund. And not just three months of expensive, but maybe six months or even 12 months, because there are times when you don't want to take money from your investments. Now, if it was, you know, 2021, when everything had gone up so much, well, we wouldn't recommend that you take money from your emergency fund instead of from your investments, because that was a time when you could sell investments at a profit. You know, the markets were very high, and so why not lock in some gains and take advantage of that? Now, the other thing that people can try and do, although it's not easy with the TSP, is to, you know, take money out of the G fund instead of any of the other funds because the G fund hasn't gone down in value. The rules are with the TSP, when you take money out, it comes proportionally from all the funds you're invested in. So you really, it's like a two or three step process where you take the money out and then you rebalance in a way that sort of gets you back to what would have happened if you did just take it out of the G fund. And you can tell, even just explaining it's a little complicated, but people can try and do that. Certified financial advisor Art Stein, who appeared earlier on the Federal Drive. We'll take a short break now. Afterwards, Federal News Network reporter Drew Friedman will join me and we'll discuss a few current pay and benefits issues. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife. I'm Tom Temin. Joining me to talk about some recent developments and a bit of the mail we've received, Federal News Network's reporter, Drew Friedman. And Drew, there's so much swirling around right now, but let's talk about, first of all, something that comes up perennially, at least in my experience many times, is the extraordinary measures the Treasury Department takes. People feel like the TSP funds are being raided by the Treasury, which they are, uh, although the government always makes them whole again. It's simply a short-term no interest borrowing, but it really gets Fed's hackles up anyway, doesn't it? You're absolutely right, Tom. There have been a lot of concerns that have come up from federal employees on this, but it's something that, as you said, it happens pretty regularly. This isn't something that's new for the Treasury Department. And Secretary Janet Yellen said that after the debt limit is raised, ultimately, then they'll be able to go back and you know, fill all of those obligations once again. So what this will impact in the short term is the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund, the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund, and then they also just added the G Fund from the Thrift Savings Plan to that list. So Treasury does have a statute that authorizes them to suspend those investments. And basically what that does is avoid breaching the statutory debt limit That'll carry the department through June, and hopefully by that point, Congress will have reached a decision to be able to raise the debt limit. I guess if you've ever scrounged under the sofa cushions or looked in all the pockets of everything hanging in your closet for spare change, that's kind of what the government is doing right now, only in a way that gets federal employees worried. But I can say, again, seeing this time after time, 
this will pass also. They'll come to some kind of political, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, awakening and get to some rational agreement here. And with respect to the TSP, the issue just won't go away. I have several emails that came in that people are simply saying they want to be able to adjust the level dollar amount of their monthly required minimum distributions or withdrawals, and there is no way to adjust it. It's on autopilot from a TSP algorithm that's programmed into the new website. Kim Weaver from TSP board says they're aware of it. They're trying to fix it. Right now, there's no update on when that will be fixed. I strongly felt when I spoke to her the last time that it would be fixed this year, but the year is yet young. Right, Tom. And I have been seeing similar concerns in my email inbox as well from people not being able to change their their distribution levels. But ultimately, I think that FRTIB is, you know, they're trying to resolve these issues as quickly as they can. It It's just, it's, it's a very sensitive topic just because it is retirement funds and it is people's money. So that is very important and very personally important to people. Um, but it is something that the board has tried to make adjustments as things have gone on. They've pointed to resolving some of the earlier key issues with the TSP transition last year. And I think that, you know, they're planning or they're trying to get this kind of fixed or up to date as as quickly as they possibly can. Yes. One of the readers posted something on a Reddit that is uh, covering federal employees, kind of a subgroup here, a sub place in Reddit. And the answers are just funny. One person writes, again, this is just within a few days of revisiting the issue of the withdrawal amounts. I really hope all this gets sorted before I retire. (laughs) This is insanity. Someone else writes, this is one of the few times I'm glad I've got another 30 years or so before I plan to retire. Presumably within 30 years, they will get that fixed on the website. But in 30 years, anything is possible, I suppose. Right. They might even have another new website by that point. So it's it's hard to say. It's a bit, it's a bit far off from now. And I guess the other big concern about TSP really is something that's out of anybody's control, and that is where is it headed? And there's no way you and I or even Art Stein is willing to predict what the market will do. It's been jittery even in the few intervening weeks till the end of the year. And so that is just something that's out of their control. But all of the accounts, as we just heard from Art Stein a few minutes ago, they're just simply down across the board. I don't know anyone that's done better this year. No, you're right, Tom. It's it's. I can't make any predictions, as you said, but uh, things are looking trending down right now. If we look at the TSP Millionaires Report, which just came out, those numbers are pretty interesting. If we compare them to last year, so for this uh, first fiscal quarter in 2023, there were about 77,000 TSP millionaires. So that's participants with accounts over a million dollars. And that first quarter last year, fiscal 2022, had 112,000. So there's about a 50,000 person drop from the number of accounts over a million dollars. That points to a lot of just volatility within the market, I think. But it has rebounded a bit. The last fiscal quarter was 65,000, so there is about 10,000 more. Hard to predict what it'll look like, but it seems like it's just swinging back and forth a bit there. It really is. Yeah, the millionaire is kind of an odd metric to watch. It has been about cut in half in the year since the, in the past year, 
between now and a year ago, roughly. It's about half of the number of people that are millionaires in the TSP. But you also have to look kind of beyond just the number of people that have a million dollars at least because there are people coming into the system, there are people aging out of the system, dying, and then their TSP gets redistributed, I guess, to someone else, you know, in an inherited type of IRA format. And if you look at the figures of people who are contributing, if you look at the other contribution patterns that they report, the years of contribution seem to go along with how much you have, which means that whatever your the number of millionaires or non-millionaires might be, you got to keep putting money in. This is what these numbers tell me. Those with under $50,000 in their accounts, of which there are 4 million of them, have been contributing for six years or less, which makes about sense. Those with 750 to 999,000 have been contributing for 27 years, and those that have more than a million have been contributing for about 30 years. So the more you contribute, the more you have. And it sounds absurdly simple to say that, but this is the time when stocks are difficult. This is when you should be buying because you're buying low. And so besides the number of millionaires, if you look at the distribution of years contributed versus the size, that will tell you you got to keep plowing it in there if you want to get that million and above rate level. Right. I do think it's, it is about just having that kind of consistency with investments. I mean, people like Art Stein who you just had on, he, he's told me that it's just about continuing to make those investments no matter what the stock market stock market it, itself looks like. You know, that will pay off over time. That'll balance out over time. So it's important, like you said, to just keep keep putting that in and that kind of shows in the, in the contributions over time. But we do urge the TSP board to fix that withdrawal issue. I want to keep harping on that. Folks, the TSP board, they're not evil people. They are trying to do their best. But goodness, here's one writer from the Pacific Northwest. She said, I can't find out who is responsible for this abomination of a website. And more calmly than I, explain to them what they need to talk to someone who knows consumers, who understands simplicity and clarity for user interfaces and redesigns the site so that non-computer web literate people can figure out what to do, where to go, and so on and so on. So you're getting the same kind of mail I'm getting, but clearly this yeah, is what is concerning people. Definitely. There's there's a lot of people out there who are saying the new system or the new website, I guess, is really hard to navigate. There's a lot that is just changed from the previous website. There's information that's, and it's intentional, but it is missing, such as the um account statements going further back than 10 years. So there are a lot of changes that the board has made. Not everyone is happy with them. And as you said, they're they're trying their best, but there are some some, you know, legitimate concerns with the way uh the way the system is is set up. And maybe the general level of anxiety is up among federal employees. There's that Bill, you've reported on a couple of times the Show Up Act. Show Up Act. <laughs> you might want to say that to force feds back to the offices or explain why they aren't back in the offices or explain how this is helping productivity. It doesn't have any real chance of enactment in law, but I think it adds to the general kind of crankiness surrounding shrinking TSP accounts. No, this is something I've, I've definitely seen on social media a lot after I wrote that story. Just people, you know, not understanding if, if they are, tell they say, 
when they were teleworking, they felt that they were just as productive, if not more productive. A vast majority of federal employees felt that way. And like you said, it's not going to get anywhere necessarily. It's not going to be enacted, but it's showing where the Republicans in the House, where their priorities are in some sense. And I think that that is raising a lot of concerns, both with federal employees themselves, with their unions as well. We've seen some you know, disdain or or dislike of this legislation from the American Federation of Government Employees, for example. But this is also, you know, I think it's important to bring up that not every federal employee can or is teleworking. Even at the height of the pandemic, it was not, it never even hit 50% of the sure. federal workforce who was at home. So there have been people who have been going in every day, no matter what. And it's just about this subsect of the federal workforce and whether or not they should be teleworking. Yeah, I mean, there's people that have to be on the job because the job is location-specific, if you're in law enforcement or TSA, that kind of thing. And another reader writes to me regularly, points out that, you know, there was a time when teleworking was considered a potential OSHA type of hazard, and some agencies would send inspectors to people's houses to make sure they were safe to work in. Now the assumption is put a laptop on your table, hook up to the VPN and you're good to go. But it wasn't always that way because back in the dark ages, early 1990, our safety office had to inspect the home office before someone got telework approval. So that I can remember that too. And you don't know what someone's home condition really is when you force them to telework. So I don't think this is going to be resolved in the next few weeks either. No, I don't think so. I think this is going to be a pretty ongoing conversation, Tom, for, for quite some time. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much for joining me here. Thanks, Tom. And that's it for today's Fed Life. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, be sure to let us know, me and Drew, what topics are important to you. We read all of our email. I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to Fed Life here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search Fed Life. interviews, news, and intel on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federal News Network. Search Federal Drive.